We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, guys, welcome in to another BuzzBeat episode. If you missed last week's announcement, we had a big announcement. We are moving over uh, and now a member of the Blue Wire Network. Please make sure you check out all the podcasts over there, um, a handful of them, at least 15 or so uh, on the network between football, baseball, and basketball. I'm sure you'll find your fix when it comes to episodes and, and shows over there. Subscribe to them, subscribe to us so that you guys get the episodes the minute they come out. So again, just wanted to reiterate the announcement that we had last week. We are now a member of the Blue Wire Network and so thankful for the opportunity that Kevin Jones has given us. Uh, In today's episode, we're going to be covering the Hornets' two-game win streak after beating both the Nuggets on Friday as well as the New York Knicks on Sunday. But before we get into episode 82, let's check in with the crew. We got all three members back for this episode. Uh, Spencer, how's everything going with the move? I'm assuming you've gotten everything put away with the boxes, correct? Yeah, right. Yeah. No, the move is uh, it's, it's ongoing. That, that's uh, what I would, I would say right now. I'm, I'm here in Charlotte, though. Um, Richie and I caught the, uh, the, the, the jazz game in Charlotte a few Fridays ago which is just a few days after I got here and uh, started a new job. So I'm um, actually at my alma mater, Wingate University. So but, you know, it's coming along, man. When you when you do a big move like that, I've never done one like that married and moving into a house. <laughs> and so like it was, it was like being shot into outer space. And, and mm-hmm. so I'm still trying to find my footing. But uh, but no, all is well. And, and I, I'm here to announce happily that I have been demoted to um, – uh, co-host no no, 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 hold on, hold on. Because I want people to know that Richie is much more suited to do that, and he can keep us on track. We were joking about it before the episode. Brian and I can't keep anything on track when it comes to conversation. <laughs> so Richie's going to do a fabulous job at doing that, and also providing um, some great thoughts on the Hornets. So. Um, so yeah, go Richie. I, this yeah. is a super good move for us. Yeah, def- definitely not a demotion here. We're, we're all three co-hosts. That's how it works <laughs> here. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brian, uh, last time we chatted, we were talking about the, uh, your beach trip and the snow coming your way. Yeah. Uh, we got barely nothing, uh, even though we missed a full day of school for it down here. Um, how much did you guys get up there in Durham? A uh, couple inches, not nothing too bad. I mean, like it, there, it seemed like there was a fair amount of variance all over the, the triangle. True. In terms of, you know, there were just some, you know, some places got five or six inches, other got one or two. I feel like that was about what I had in my neighborhood. It definitely wasn't bad. Made it a good excuse on Sunday to just stay inside and binge watch The Wire and watch basketball. So, and the Panthers lose. So, uh, you know, it was just basically just an excuse to stay inside and, uh, and, and do nothing but, you know drink beer and watch hoops and stuff like that. So altogether, uh, I guess this is what growing up is like. And yeah, snow day was, uh, was solid. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, I was a little disappointed. Uh, we were expected to get, we could, you know, we could have gotten like four inches, but we didn't really get anything. And, um, Woke up, thought there's going to be some white stuff on the ground, but definitely not. Oh, speaking of the wire, Spencer, did you ever watch that at all? Or did you guys kind of, uh, stop after a while? 
Yeah, well, we got, I think it's two and a half seasons. We might have gotten to the end of season three, but yeah. I, we, I'm i actually begging uh, my wife to finish it now. But we've been removed so long. It's one of those things right. where it's like hard to jump back yeah. in. No, I get that. Yeah. It gives you like, it gives the, those situations, like it gives me anxiety because it's like, do I start back over? Right. Or do I like, do I like go to the Wikipedia page and I'm like, read for seven and a half minutes and then just try to like <laughs> jump back into where we last left off. It, exactly. That, that, I live a pretty privileged life if that's what's giving me anxiety, I suppose. But <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, I don't know how I even got stuck on this again. I've, I've seen the wire start to finish like probably four times now. And last week it was like, no, you know what? I'm just going it, to, it's ambitious to do it during basketball season too. Cause I kind of have a lot going on, but I was like, I don't even care going for it starting it. And I'm really enjoying it. I mean, just through the two and a half seasons we got through, it, some of the best character development in TV yeah. ever, I would say. That that would be like my, my one sentence synopsis of what I think about that show so far. It's definitely a show you can't like casually watch. Like, it's not like a show you can be on your iPad and watch. Like, no, no. you're not going to pick up on all the things no. unless you're actually fully in tune to it. And maybe watching it multiple times like that, Brian, you pick up on some things that you didn't so, pick up on the first time. So, uh, even again, this is like the fourth or fifth time I'm going through it and I'm picking up on new stuff. You just, yeah. you just see. The, you see the chessboard more evenly. There's more <laughs> references you get, and um, yeah, no, I'm. It's it's been it's it's fun to it's fun to go back. You also just like forget how many classic scenes just happen early in that show too. You know, like you don't. You're just like holy crap. Like the chess scene. This takes place like in oh the second gosh. or third yeah. episode. You know, and you're like wow, I forgot. They just sort of jump right in with this stuff. So. This is a great idea for a, for a podcast show at some point. What yeah, maybe. Charlotte Hornets rostered players are wire. Yeah. The, oh, I, there we know, go. I'm surprised. You know what? If the if they're if like the ringer ever hired a like Hornets person, this is like what that person would do for. Exactly. I know Simmons and his crew have covered you know the NBA as as wire characters before. Um, but it's even funny you say that because going back and watching it, I was thinking I was like. Yeah, Slim Charles, like, I think he's a 3 and D guy. I think, like, sitting there, like, the, you, you see, like, the role players versus the star guys. It's it's an interesting, uh, it's, like, I, I know it's sort of cliched to do it, but, like, it's still fun. I feel like there's some kind of connection we can make between Wallace and uh, Frank Kaminsky. I feel like, you know, Wallace <laughs> dies off at the end of episodes. Spoiler alert. Maybe Frank yeah. Kaminsky's career ends a little bit early uh, it, with, the, with the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, if, like, you know, it's like one of those things if um, – if 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 it, just draw this completely insane analogy out a little further, like Miles is Bodie, so he's the one that ends it too. Actually, you know, spoiler alert. Yeah. Oh gosh. Season, you know. Yeah. So, anyways. Yeah, but well, Bodie's a good character. All right, let's jump in. We've uh, spent again too much time talking about stuff that's good not job, pertaining. Good Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So we're off to our usual start. I think Brian's gonna take over next episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the first game we're gonna get into is Friday night's win, one thirteen, one oh seven over Denver. Uh, Charlotte got a much-needed win over a hot Denver team uh, with the help of the defense. The Hornets held the Nuggets to just 23% from deep uh, and also held them to an effective field goal percentage of just 43. This was Denver's third lowest effective field goal percentage of the season. Uh, on Charlotte's side, Tony Parker had a big game. Uh, we'll definitely talk about him uh, because he continues to impress. Uh, he had 19 points. Monk had a spark off the bench, and he's slowly starting to pick things up. He had 16 points in 22 minutes. And then Kimba Walker wasn't too efficient. I can That's kind of been a theme lately, but he definitely filled up the stat sheet with 21 points, 8 assists, and 6 rebounds. I guess something else to note, uh, Marvin Williams returned in this game probably sooner than a lot of us expected. I thought he wouldn't be back until an, you know another couple of games, uh, but I guess he was good to go, uh, and he definitely was effective in this game as well. So I guess the first thing I want to talk about just kind of starting with the negatives, um, offensive rebounding, and maybe we can talk about why this is an issue for Charlotte, um, and if and if you view it as a big issue kind of moving forward throughout the season. They allowed 20 rebounds and 21 second-chance points, uh, both of those well above their average. So question to you all, do you think that this is just something that's going to be with this team for the rest of the season, uh, and then how big of an issue do you see it becoming uh, in terms of affecting the, the team's success? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty obvious in this game that um, it, well, it slowly became a part of the Nuggets game plan when they realized how hard offense was going to be for them, especially shooting the ball from outside. And Jokic is, I will say this too, I, I was at this game in person at this game, and 
Nikola Jokic is one of those NBA players you just have to see in person. Mm-hmm. Like you, you just do. Like he he is so much bigger than everybody else on the floor. And how nimble he is with that girth. I mean, he's not in shape. I'm not talking about, like, muscular. The dude is just a, <laughs> an enormous human. Yeah. Um, and he, he crushed Charlotte on the offensive glass. Um, and, and this is really how the Nuggets stayed in the game. I mean, the, the, the play that really sticks out in my mind, Richie, was uh, Jamal Murray, who could not get it going, who hasn't been able to get it going from behind the arc all season, shoots, I think they're down eight, 106-98 or something like that. Chucks a three from the right wing. It misses, hits no rim, misses on like the left side of the rim on the off the glass. Jokic is right there to pick it up and lay it in. I mean, the Hornets almost blew that blew that game, but yeah, this is the one way that that Denver stayed in the game. And I do think it's going to be an issue for Charlotte the rest of the season. I, I think the teams realize that this is a weakness for the Hornets, especially with with certain lineups, um, you know, out there especially when Frank Kaminsky's at five, uh, especially when Malik Monk's on the floor. I mean, you know, Tony Parker's out there. I mean, they need to send an extra guy, and I think teams realize that. But, uh, but yeah, this is part of what kept the Nuggets in the game uh, on Friday. Yeah, the, so the Hornets, they're 17th in the NBA in defensive rebound rate, which is you know, certainly not great. It's, it, I guess it's, it, seems, it feels like it should be worse, to be totally honest with you. A um, couple of notes on this. Like, Cody Zeller is having, even though he's been healthy and played – you know, I think pretty well this year, whatever. Um, this is the worst rebounding rate or of his career, and it's his worst defensive rebounding rate of his career this season. Both are career lows at, you know, the quarter point of the season. And as of right now, you know, Frank Kaminsky's currently taking the backup five minutes. He's not a very good defensive rebounder. So, you know, especially when, when MKG isn't out there, yeah, this team's going to struggle getting rebounds. They just don't have a guy that can – vacuum them up and, and clean up the glass like that's just not the kind of team they are it's got to be a group effort and I believe you we've even heard prior to this Denver game but James Borrego talk about the importance of guys like Jeremy Lamb who's a decent defensive rebounder on the wing those guys you know hanging in hanging tight and trying to help out on the glass a little bit but um yeah this was just a weird game Hornets only a 62 percent defensive rebound rate that was their third worst number of the season um, I thought this was crazy. Denver played nine guys in this game. Every guy who played finished with at least one offensive rebound. <laughs> and eight players, led by Nikola Jokic, finished with two or more offensive rebounds in this game, which is just kind of crazy. Um, there, are th- there have been 13 games in the NBA this season when a team has allowed 20 or more opponent offensive rebounds. Charlotte accounts for two of those games. Uh, the Detroit, One of the Detroit games... And then uh, the, the win over Denver the other night. But Hornets do still win. Um, they get up 38 free throw attempts. That's the second most they've had so far this season outside of the uh, I think the overtime game with Philadelphia when they got up 40. Kemba, who has been struggling from the free throw yeah. line, goes 11 of 11, 12. 12. Yeah. That was big. And the Hornets, this was their first, this is their first and only win over the Western Conference so far this season. Uh, they're one in five in six games against the West. Hornets improved to nine and five at home. Uh, they're four and eight on the road. Let me go back to the offensive rebounding thing, but yeah, the free throw things definitely helped Charlotte out, and and Kemba kind of um, corrected his free throw percentage there. But do you think that is this something that we're just going to live with because we sometimes we do play smaller lineups, our personnel isn't the greatest? Do you think there's a correlation between teams that don't do well uh, defending the offensive rebound and wins? Because I I looked it up and like. Cleveland Cavaliers are fifth in the NBA uh, in preventing offensive rebounds. The Jazz, who are a mediocre team, are third in the NBA in preventing offensive rebounds. And some of the more successful teams, uh, Philadelphia, 14th in the NBA. Uh, Golden State Warriors, 17th. Portland, 21st. Toronto, 27th. So is this something that you're all concerned with in terms of like the success of the team? Like, Is it just something that you're just going to live with? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think, like I said, to an extent, yes. I mean, I think that... Um, defensive rebounding, we're not going to be an, an upper echelon defensive rebounding team. We don't have a, a force in the middle that helps us do that. I will say that I think Miles My, Bridges, um, lineups with Miles Bridges, Michael K. Gilchrist, Cody Zeller, that trio, or take Cody out and put Marvin in, I mean, that's considered a small ball lineup. But I think those four core guys, if a combination of three of them are on the floor together, this team's mm-hmm. not going to struggling is not going to struggle to rebound the basketball. And that's what the stats tell us, too. I actually just spit this in a minute ago. It looks like when Bridges, uh, MKG, 
and Marvin are in the game together. So Marvin playing the five, uh, quasi five um, opponents rebound about twenty percent of offensive rebound chances. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a pretty good clip for the Hornets. Yeah. And then and then when it's Bridges, Kid Gilchrist, and Zeller, and it's only been forty one possessions this year. Um, the Hornets only allow 18.8% of, uh, of offensive rebounds to be grabbed by the opponent. So Miles Bridges is just such a dominant rebounder on both ends because of how quickly he gets off the floor. He doesn't have to box yeah. out. If he's within yeah. the vicinity of the basketball, he's going to be the first one to it because he's, you know, he's a, he's a jumping jack. So I, I think finding a way to use him more is going to help. And I was going to wait till later, but I'll mention it now. Maybe we can talk about it a little bit more later. But Miles Bridges in the last two games has not played any minutes at power forward. All his minutes have mm-hmm. come small forward. And I think this has helped Charlotte um, defensively because I think Miles Bridges is more is is well suited to defend small forwards at this stage, not power forwards. And I also think it puts him in better position to be effective on the glass. So it's an interesting fold um, that Clifford has played with. And it's Clifford. Brega. Listen to me. Talking about being stuck in the past, Brian. Yeah. Yeah, excuse me, Brego. And uh, I, I expect Bridges to get more and more minutes. I thought that was really interesting. I noticed it Friday night. And I think you're going to see uh, the vast majority of his minutes for the rest of the season come at small forward. Yeah, Bridges on like just him chasing rebounds is like a sight to see. He's he's clearly he's got like some center fielder in him. Like you know he just like he can track the ball the ball in the air and and go up and get it. It's uh it's he's like an outstanding long rebounder. Um, he just has a little bit of a nose for the the basketball. And even just when MKG and, and Bridges have been on the court this season, Charlotte's defense has been awesome. Uh, Ninety seven points allowed per one hundred possessions. That's a great number. Net rating of plus ten. Those guys, again, regardless of who's playing, who's playing the five with them, seventy-seven percent defensive rebound rate is pretty good this season for them. So, yeah, look, it's something that they're going to struggle with. I do think on some of the teams you pointed out, like the Cleveland Cavaliers, yeah, I guess they do a good job clearing defensive rebounds, but they're terrible. Like they have Tristan Thompson, and he's about to be out for yeah. the next yeah. like two to four weeks. So, like that rate's about to drop. The Jazz have Rudy Gobert. And, you know, a team like Toronto playing a Bach at the five, like he's just not, he's never been a great defensive rebounder. Now that he's playing the center, the, the, you know, they're really going to get hit there. But you just make up for it on the other end by hitting threes and not turning the ball over. And I think, you know, the Hornets, I need to double check this, but as of a week ago, they were tops in the NBA in turnover rate. So you, you try to mm-hmm. find ways, I think, on the margins to make it up. It just, it was just so jarring in this game because, it, it you know, Jokic got four of them, everyone else got at least one. Um, and Spencer, like you said about Jokic, I mean, what a player that guy is. They, he did – this was not his best game, you know, right? He just – he shoots 6-18, 0-6 from deep. But plus eight with him on the court, Denver is. He's the only guy in the game that they lose by six points. Jokic is the only guy that has a positive uh, on-off uh, in this game for Denver. They ran 5-1 pick and roll with he and Jamal Murray, which is yeah. – cool. I mean, it's wild that they can invert it and do that. Like – most, I mean, even a guy like, you know, the, the Hornets just play Carl Anthony Towns, like, you know, Minnesota's not doing that with him, you know, and he's, he can do basically everything offensively, but I thought Charlotte did, other than letting him sort of beat him up on the glass, this was the third straight game that the Hornets had played, one of those sort of like just unguardable 6'10 to 7 foot tall guys, you had <laughs> Anthony Davis, then you had Cat, then you had Jokic, and, I mean, they did the best job out of any of those matchups on, on Jokic. It certainly helped to have Cody Zeller and Marvin Williams both back in the lineup. You know, they need Marvin because they play him at the five a lot this season, about yeah. 200 minutes. And so, you know, you're, you lose depth in a variety of different ways. If, if Marvin's out and it's, it's, harder, it's probably harder for you to play Miles Bridges at the three if you don't have Marvin because, if, you know, if he's in, then he and MKG can take up all of the, all of the four minutes. Um, elsewhere in this game, not to just completely pivot, but like another huge game for Tony Parker. I mean, he just continues, he continues to just do it. He was one of, on the sneak, one of the best like off season signings in the Eastern conference in terms of value. Like you used a portion of the mid-level to get this guy and he's just been so solid first half, four of six shooting 13 points, Hornets plus 11 and nine minutes with him on the court. Charlotte scores 1.7 points per possession with Parker on the floor in the first half. Just killing Plumlee and Trey Lyles and pick and roll, pick and pop. 
um, good minutes with Frank and Marvin with those guys at the four five combination. And, you know, just just pan out for this season now here, too. 450 minutes with Tony Parker on the floor. Hornets 109 points per 100 possessions with a net rating over over plus five. Um, and with those with he and Kemba on the court together, man, according to cleaning the glass, 117 points per 100 possessions. Um, and then according to NBA.com, plus 31 uh, in, a, in 178 minutes with those two guys on the court. Kemba Walker shooting 49% on threes, 62% effective shooting with Tony Parker on the court this year. Get, get some off ball. And Parker yep. down the stretch hit two big shots when Denver trapped Kemba. And he slowed yep. it to Parker. Parker went out and got him buckets. It's the second time in the last couple of weeks. The, the, maybe the two best wins Charlotte's had this entire season, like Milwaukee and then Denver. Uh, you know, Tony Parker closed both those games out. And I yeah. think, yeah, I mean, Tony Parker, obviously big value signing, and it is a position that we've been struggling to fill since Lynn left. And and having a player, when we signed Parker, I never thought that Parker and Kemba would be playing together, like yeah. it, not not in the way that Lynn did. But some of those stats that you're bringing up, are, especially on the offensive end, I mean, that's where on the defensive yeah. end there's still going to be some struggles. But uh, especially late, too, you know, the, the clutch – the clutch deficiencies that we've had, both of these players, Kemba and Parker, are the ones that we're going to lean on. Um, there's not really many other players on the Hornets roster that you can say, hey, go get me a basket late in the game, maybe mm-hmm. Lamb. One of the plays was even designed for him. Um, they had like a Spain action where he set a back screen on a big. Running a lot of that recently. And then immediately he just pa- uh, Kemba passed it to Parker, and he went to work and hit that 10-footer late in the game. Mm-hmm. So uh, this was under a minute left, and it was – it was a game where I felt like Charlotte was in control, but when it got a little bit late in the game, uh, it got close to like seven or eight points, and it, it was a little bit uh, too familiar for Hornets fans, you know, <laughs> thinking that we were going to blow this lead. But yeah, Parker continues to press. Um, I'm so glad that he fills that backup point guard role, role, but also being able to play with Kimba as well. What are your thoughts on on Parker, Spencer? Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad. I had a good note here. I'm glad that you guys brought him up. Um, I was looking up today just how, you know, what Tony Parker and Malik Monk's uh, minutes have been together, and I was surprised to find out. I figured they were a positive net just because of how good Parker has been. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, Monk's obviously been up and down. The two on the floor together, 463 possessions, plus 5.3 net rating. Um, The most surprising thing I found, their defensive rating went together on the floor, 106.3 in 463 possessions. Obviously, most of those are with MKG, which is going to help float those. But yeah. the, the combination of Tony Parker and Malik Monk on the defensive end before this season started, the thought of that like, gave me nightmares. <laughs> yeah. So to, to think that and, right. and 106.3 is a top 10 rating in the NBA. I mean, to think that we're able to keep water out of the boat at that rate through 25 games – with both of them on the floor is mm-hmm. I don't know if it's sustainable, but it's, it's very encouraging. Um, and then, I mean, you reel all the way down to like Frank Kaminsky, who's gotten a lot of mints uh, recently. And, and we can talk about him more later, baby, but Frank Kaminsky in 140, 194 minutes this season has a 100.7 defensive rating, which is like, what? Yeah, like, where, will, where did I this will, come from? I will, say, I will say a big part of that is the minutes with MKG though, too. Sure. That's sure. Like, that's like a point of differentiation, but still pretty but good though. Right. But both of those numbers, the, the Tony Parker, Malik Monk and the Frank, I mean, obviously I, I'm not accounting him being on the floor with anybody else, but both of those numbers are top 10 numbers, right? Like, so it, it, it's kind of surprising what the Hornets have been able to do defensively considering their limitations. Cause as a team, they're, they're very league average there, but the bench has been awesome. The other note I had in this game is Cody Zeller and his willingness to make a play out of the middle of the floor in that Denver game. And he did this against New York as well. Uh, I didn't get his secondary assist numbers, his hockey assist numbers in the Denver game, but I, I do know that the Hornets assisted on 13 of their 19 made field goals in the first half against Denver. They got up 11 corner three pointers, yeah. which it was, which was a, an awesome number. And, you know, it, it came in two ways for Zeller. Kimba, he was a little bit more willing to throw it to him off the slip or just off the roll in the middle. Denver was, they were not coming to check him on the roll. And then, you know, on the Chicago action or on the dribble handoff action, you know, Zeller's faking the DHO and he's, and he's headed right down the lane. And he made a few plays out of that. I mean, it wasn't all, you know, the amount of corner threes the Hornets could have taken in that game should have been even more than 11. But a lot of those hockey assists or hockey assist uh, opportunities 
off that second pass uh, field goal was special. Miles Bridges got going that way. Uh, Jeremy Lamb got going that way off that pass coming up from the corner to the wing. So I, I just thought that Cody Zeller and his willingness to make a play out of the middle of the floor in that game stuck out more than any other game I've seen this season. And I do want to say the the return of Marvin also helped the corner threes. He was three of seven yep. from yep. deep. Um, and I, I would want to say two. All three makes, Okay, all, all three. three. From the corner. Yep. Yeah, yep. and I think that's the thing with Charlotte. We're, if you look at the numbers, field goal percentage from the threes, we're up there, top five. Uh, but in terms of actually frequency from the corners, we're middle of the road. And I think that utilizing the corners uh, in today's NBA – uh, is is kind of crucial to team success on the offensive end. I know that we're still up there in offensive rating, but I feel like using the corners forces defense to make a decision whether they want to help off weak side or stay yeah. home on their man. Um, you know, corner three is more on the weak side. It's really kind of what drives the defense in making those decisions. And I think Marvin's return um, is, is crucial for this, and, and he needs to be the one – or he, there needs to be others beside him that utilize Lamb that. Too. That yeah, Lamb has shot a monster number from the corners this year. Just not a lot of attempts. Malik Monk has like randomly shot. You think he'd light it up from the corners, but he's like, he just doesn't spend enough time there. Yeah. Just yeah, and like, but like even you know, I think I swear he's like four of twenty, four of twenty-five. Like he's really low from the corners this year. Um, I've thought about this a fair amount. Just like. So much of the possession, the ball is in Kemba's hand, and he takes the most shots, takes the most threes, and he just basically never shoots from the corners. You know what I mean? So yeah. that that's, I mean, that's a big reason why they they have such a huge share from of threes from above the uh, above the break. Right. In the Denver game, Charlotte has seven hockey assists, seven secondary assists. That's a pretty good number, actually. Two for Kemba, two for Parker, one for Marvin, one for Cody Zeller, and uh, one for Jeremy Lamb too. Also, I I, I, gave, I just thought Zeller was just, like, active in this game. Uh, Leak tracking data only gives him one screen assist, which was surprising. I thought he was everywhere. I, um, I, I agree, bro. I looked at that, and it didn't seem right. It, I mean, it it, the eye test didn't match up with the number there. If that, guy, like, <laughs> if, that, if that guy plays enough minutes, like, he should just stumble his way into, you know, he's such a good screener. He should just stumble into enough, enough things. And just one more thing I want to bring up about Tony Parker real quickly. There are only two players in the NBA this season – that are playing under 20 minutes a game and averaging at least 10 or more drives per game. It's Tony Parker and JJ Barea, two awesome backup point guards. And they're the only two in the league doing this. Tony Parker is shooting 55% on drives this season. And is averaging over an assist per game um, on drives. You, you, year two. Yeah. You can just tell like that. Crazy. That is, that is his job offensively is, whatever it takes get to or around the basket and let's play from there i mean he is at his age to be able to get there as often as he is it really really is amazing one last thought because we're on this corner three conversation um you know miles i brought it up you know he's played the last two games at small forward i was just kind of running through some numbers earlier today marvin about 42 percent from the corners this season not good at all from above the break, about 32%. Miles Bridges has spent a lot more time shooting from above the break. And also, guess what? He can, like when the ball swings, he can make a play down the middle of the floor, mm -hmm. attacking a closeout where Marvin can't. So mm -hmm. I, I don't, you know, certainly don't know this for sure, for certain, but maybe there's some truth to the thought that Miles playing with Marvin allows Marvin to get to that corner area on yeah. offense much more often. Yeah. And it also unlocks just a lot more from Miles Bridges going down uh, the middle of the floor on a closeout. And look, above the break, Miles Bridges, 37.2% so far this season. That is a lot better on 43 attempts. That is so much better than I would have guessed through, 30, or through 25 games in his rookie season. Mm -hmm. And last point before we move on to the Nick game, um, you guys mentioned Malik Monk, and I think that he's starting to come pick up some steam here. Uh, I think he does have a good balance now, I feel like, between shooting the three and attacking the rim. He had this one play uh, early in the game, I believe, uh, where he drove the lane uh, from the right wing, got all the way to the basket, and dunked it with his left hand. So mm -hmm. we're seeing more of that with uh, Malik Monk, not just yeah. pulling yeah. up from mid-range or deep. He's actually trying to get all the way to the basket. So... Uh, last thought, Brian. Yeah, just real quick. A little bit of good fortune for Charlotte. No Gary Harris, who got hurt earlier in the week uh, for the Nuggets. I mean, he's you know probably their second or third best player. Also, Paul Millsap got hurt. It was either his foot or toe. He could only play mm -hmm. 19 minutes in this game. So this forced Denver to play a lot of Torrey Craig. He played almost 19 minutes in this game. I don't think he made a shot. You just don't really have to guard that guy. So that was a big break. And um, 
Yeah, Denver gets up 35 threes. They make only eight. 22 of their 35 three-point attempts, according to NBA data, were wide open. Uh, no defender within six-plus feet. Uh, Nuggets go just five of 22 on those looks. So, you know, if you're going to beat a team like Denver, even when they're shorthanded, man, sometimes you still need a little bit of luck, too. All right, this takes us to the most recent game on Sunday, 119-107, uh, win over the Knicks. Uh, Knicks are not a very good basketball team, so this is a, no, a, game that you're, <laughs> a game that you're expected to win. So the Knicks are a bottom t- 10 offense, bottom 5 defense, and it showed Sunday night. Uh, the Knicks shot the ball well from deep, uh, but other than that, not too much on the offensive end. Uh, the Hornets did a good job of converting at the rim, where they shot 19 of 25 within 4 feet. Uh, a lot of that thanks to Tony Parker. Again, great signing. Uh, great uh, 16 points and 16 minutes. And then you have Kimball Walker, who averages 20-plus points in MSG. Uh, again, not the best in terms of efficiency, but he got up 25 points. And I feel like he's slowly getting back on track and escaping that slump that he had. You know, obviously the NBA is, um, you know, there's some ups and downs throughout the season. Uh, Kimball definitely has more ups than downs, but he's. I feel like he's slowly getting out of this slump. So I think the first thing that... Um, we can talk about um, just I feel like there's a lot of positives to talk about in this game. I thought MKG, if you looked at his box score, there's probably not a lot to show up. Uh, just eight points and four rebounds, uh, one of those being an offensive rebound. But just watching him play, you can see his scrappiness out there on the court. He is challenging for offensive rebounds. If he's not getting there, at least he's, I guess, forcing others to get them. Um, whether it's a bobble or whatever it may be. Um, he's just forcing the defense to work. And I'm really loving how Borrego is using him and Marvin together. I think at the 4-5, they're doing very well this year. In six minutes this game, they had a net rating of 44.5. So very very switchy on the defensive end. And again, um, I think kind of going back to last game, when you play with smaller lineups and they're more switchy on defense, I think that does allow for more offensive rebounds. I know that Jokic is a... Is a you know, a man in his own category there. But uh, what are your thoughts on on MKG in this game and just his scrappiness? And, you know, it doesn't show up always in, in the box score. I mean, the highlight of the season, I think, for or certainly in the top five for the Hornets, MKG's block on one end. Awesome. A- outlets to Miles, or Miles picks up the trash, mm-hmm. threads a, a vertical pass right up the, the lane line to Monk, who, who dunks it in with his right hand. I mean, that, you know. That, that pass, that made, man. I tweeted. Yeah. I was like, I got Sunday scares right now, but that made it a whole lot better. <laughs> <laughs> that play, I mean, it just really uh, lifted my spirits. But, I mean, and, and if I'm not mistaken, um, I think that was a small ball lineup. I could be wrong. Uh, Zeller could have been out there, but I think Marvin was at the five. And, like, when the Hornets go small and they have Monk and Miles and MKG on the floor together, like, that's the kind of stuff you're going to see. You know, every other game or every three, you know, once every three games. I mean, there's just too much athleticism on the floor, um, you know, for it not to happen. And, and MKG, like, we we don't talk about him enough because his stats, nobody does, because his stats don't jump off the page at you or whatever. But I, I think there's an argument to be had. This is like one of his best seasons of his career. I think I would it's agree. Best season. I think it's his best season. Uh, I think yeah. I, I love everything he's done this year. Seriously. <laughs> it, it, it just, you know, he's just such a, he's, he's always been a jet, like a jackknife kind of player. Right. But it, we've learned that him coming off the bench and then for the rest of the, you know, to start, but then for the rest of the game, just playing this utility role and, and Borrego being able to use him in so many different ways because he's willing to right? because Borrego's willing to try different stuff like MKG's value has just skyrocketed. And I don't think any of us really expected that. I, well, I certainly didn't. Um, so yeah, it was awesome in this game, Richie. And, you know, every day that goes by and I watch this team play one more game, I think Michael K. Gilchrist is, is second in the MVP race for the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, behind yeah. Kimba, he's the most important player on this team. I, I, to me, that it's just true. He, he's been awesome. Um, 2.2 blocks per 36 minutes this year for him. That's a career high. Like it just, it's really neat to see how his move to the bench, to the four, is benefiting not only him, but the team. Like, it, it's – because I'm sure it probably took some salesmanship, right, from from Borrego and the staff to be like, hey, man, you know, you're coming off the bench now, new position now. Like, I, I know you've been doing all this other stuff for six years, but, like, we're, we're going to change it up. And – or maybe it didn't. Maybe MKG just bought in, drank the Kool-Aid right away. However it went down, it has clearly worked. 
and it's made him, I mean, there, I haven't checked this since uh, prior to the Denver game, but like, seriously, the Hornets right at 100 points for 100 possessions allowed with him on the court this year in a lot of minutes. Like, he comes in, he changes the flow for them all of the time, just instantly. And, um, I mean, he was big in the, in the, uh, the, the New York game, but, uh, let me just pull this up real quickly. Just some of his hustle stats. They're like, it's because these don't show up in the game box score. It's still worth pointing out. And like um, you said, Brian, his scrappiness, his defensive intensity is very contagious in terms of like when he enters the game, like it feels like everyone else around them somehow change, picks up that change, changes the vibe immediately. Yeah. I, I said this after yeah. they lost the, the one loss they had to the Hawks. He didn't play in that game. And I just, that just, again, I, I could, you could never prove that this is right or wrong or whatever. Like, I'll, I'll always have this belief, though. Like, if MKG plays in that game, they, they win. Because you just don't get jumped. Yeah. You just don't get jumped when that guy comes in the game. The, the, the vibe changes. The intensity picks up. I, I love the fact that a guy like Miles Bridges gets to, like, spend, gets to, like, play a lot with that guy. Gets to be around Tony Parker and gets to be around... Kemba and gets to be around MKG. Just think of all the little different stuff you can pick up from all those guys. I mean, that's basketball culture. Um, and it's cool that he gets to be, you know, that MKG gets to be a part of it. Mike this year, 1.4 screen assists per game. Um, you know, which, almost, which was never a thing of the past. He had 14, no, yeah. he had 14 total all last season. So he's, he's already gone over that. Um, he's contesting, five two-point shots per game in only 20 minutes. Like that, if you looked at the per 36 minutes numbers for that, it's one of the best numbers in the league for non-like centers. Like seriously, look at that per 36 for like wings and guards. Um, man, it, it's it's a great, it's a really, really good number. He's just, he's been unlocked as this like free safety for for the defense. And um, he just has, look, we, we can be smarter as basketball fans now. We, we can look at more than just like, Oh, you know, how many points did he have and how many uh-huh. minutes did he grab a few rebounds? Like, did he get to the line? Whatever. Um, and by the way, like he's, what's been so cool is his play has been so impactful, especially on the defensive end in the transition game. That it's almost a non-story that the fact that this guy's like kind of shooting some threes occasionally this season too. We're not even five corner threes. This we're season. not, even, we're not, he, had, he hit an above the break three the other week, uh, like a week and a half ago too. Uh-huh. Like, he, and it's not even a story. That would have been, like, the number one headline of every <laughs> Hornets plot, podcast, blog, like, Twitter thread. Like, it would have been a front-page story, and we're not even talking about it because, like, the actual story with MKG this year is not, hey, he's shooting a three every now and then. It's like, holy crap, this guy is having such a tremendous impact on both ends of the court when he comes in. And, um, and yeah, you just can't sing this dude's praises enough because he's accepted a new role and has excelled in it. Do you think um, maybe being quote unquote demoted to the bench role in a diminished role allows him maybe to expend more energy because he's not nope. coming out of the gates uh, starting? I don't know. Is that a weird thought to have? No, yeah. I, I think it yeah. makes sense, right? Well, yeah, it, it makes. I think it makes sense too. And here's the other thing: I think that MKG doesn't not starting mentally is a good thing for him because he does not have to psych himself up night in and night out to have to guard the best player on the other team when it's still a lot of times he ends up having to do that right. in games right but there was such like a uh there was just this tag on MK, mkg coming into every matchup that okay well he'll have to guard james harden this game he'll have yeah. to go you know whoever yeah. it is demar Derozan, you know and, and now he He's not going to to start the game. Number one, he comes in against second units, and then he works into the flow of the game. So by the end of the game, he's not thinking about that kind of stuff. You know, I've I've always thought that I don't know MKG, so I, I could be totally off base here. But I've always thought that maybe maybe a little bit fragile mentally. Um, you know, and I think that the whole shooting problem maybe. Uh, well, I shouldn't say fragile mentally, but th- there's fragile parts of his basketball development I, I think from a mental standpoint yeah. and I think this role of coming off the bench has really aided him there mm-hmm. it, it's just a guess but but I do think it it has he looks freer like body language freer. wise that's a good he word just, he just looks like he's he's out there playing basketball and not thinking his way the game through the game so much mm-hmm. and yeah I mean 
You know, like Brian brought up, you know, the corner three thing. Nobody's talking about that. He's hit five and 12 corner threes. You know, Mm -hmm. Brian said he hit the above the break three. He doesn't always have to spend his time in that short corner area anymore and Mm -hmm. and crowd things up. And he can pick and choose when he wants to make that baseline cut or when he wants to stand out there at the three-point line and catch it. And he's not hesitating to let it go either. Mm -hmm. So do I think that's a part of opposing scouting reports? Not yet. But if he keeps up this 42% mark from the corners, you'd be damn sure it's going to become. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, kind of talking about the person that replaced him in the starting lineup, I just want to transition to Jeremy Lamb. He had a new role. Uh, He is now starting for the Hornets uh, and, Mm -hmm. and has been since the beginning of the season. And I feel like he started off the season, Lamb that is, a little bit slow. Uh, but I feel like he's picking his play up as of late. I don't have my numbers in, you know, in front of me in terms of like maybe the, the last 10 or 15 games, but I feel like his stats the last 10 or 15 games have been well above his stats to start the season. And he's just, in, based off my eye test, I feel like he's doing a much better job of getting to the rim. Um, you know, we've always known this guy as a mid-range shooter, which, you know, part of that game, part of his game will always be in the mid-range, but I think he's kind of turned it around this season and trying to get to the rim. Uh, against the Knicks, he had 19 points on 67% shooting uh, at five rebounds. He's going to be that wing guy that gets a lot of defensive rebounds. Um, and also, when we need a bucket, I feel like it's either Kemba, Parker, or or Lamb. So yep. uh, any thoughts on, on Lamb's uh, increased uh, play as of late? Uh, yeah, last 15 games, Jeremy Lamb, I got you here, Richie, here 31, 31 minutes per game, over 17 points per game, uh, 13 field goal attempts per game, healthy number, 48% shooting from the field, uh, over four three-point attempts per game, uh, shooting 38% from, from deep the last 15 games, uh, four free throw attempts per game, he's shooting 88% at the line. And also in those games, oh, averaging in again, like he's he's using possessions because four free throw attempts, thirteen shots a game, less than one turnover per game too. Um, so yeah, no, Jeremy Lamb, and he's still like a little reliant on that mid range uh-huh. game, I think. And even when he does get to the rim, you know, he's an average at absolute best finisher at the rim. He's probably a little below that, but. He's shooting high 30% off the catch this season. That's big. He's shooting a great number out of the corners. That's big. Not he's only around 30% from above the break. He's been, but he's been lights out from the corners. Um, and yeah, I think he's been considering that he's only paid, you know, what seven point mil and in, in change. You know, this guy is a, right now is a pretty pretty serious bargain. Um, and he's been a, a good player. I don't feel like he's a sieve anymore defensively for the movie. If he's not. Uh, you know, a great defensive player. It just doesn't feel like the defense collapses with him out there. And again, yeah, he's he's proven to be a pretty solid secondary, second-side offensive player for the Hornets. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with all that. I mean, I think that Jeremy Lamb, his role in this team will have to continue, you know, to be the second creator. I, I, I do think that his career could take off in terms of how – fans teams would value him if he was able to spend a little bit more time off the ball and in the corners because he has proven to be a really good shooter um you know on the catch and shoot uh opportunity as brian pointed out but look it's kimball walker tony parker uh jeremy lamb right like those are the guys that can create offense with the Mm -hmm. ball in their hands on this roster I, i just i don't consider nick batum to be in that category anymore maybe he never should have been but um, so Lamb, he has to play that role, right? Like he, he, uh-huh. he's got to be that guy on the second side. Um, but you know, Borrego, he, he can get creative, you know, when Kimba mm-hmm. and Parker are out there together, you know, and, and miles is out there and lambs out there, you know, lamb can't spend time in the corner. Right. And, and so you can give him those opportunities, you know, with the way, with how creative Borrego's, um, mm-hmm. you know, able to be and willing to be. But I, I think at the end of the day, Jeremy Lamb, he's more comfortable being a creator. I mean, when that guy is able to put it on the floor going left, whether it be off a straight line Mm -hmm. drive uh, or off a pick and roll, you know, he can just finish when he gets into the paint in a lot of difficult ways. Um, He's always been good in the paint, not in the restricted area Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of position he plays. I mean, here in the last 10 games, he's he's almost 50% in the paint, non-restricted area, which is usually not a place that in the modern day game, many, <laughs> many players are, uh, are efficient from. So right. um, it, it's been fun to watch him. I don't think the Hornets will be able to keep him here in the off season, but the guy's going to get paid barring something weird from here on out. And you know what? Good for him. Cause it's been fun to watch him develop. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, before we wrap, are there any uh, last points that we want to talk about in this game? I know we talked about Tony Parker last game. I feel like there's some of the same things that we saw in the Denver game. We saw the Knicks game. Very crafty finishes around the rim. Uh, any other players that you want to talk about before we kind of, you know, wrap this up? Um, just can I, can I hop in here? Just real quickly, uh, Cody Zeller was awesome again. And Spencer, you were maybe going to bring him up. But 26 minutes for Zeller, 5 of 5 shooting. Uh, plus 17 with him on the court. Cody Zeller also has eight screen assists in this game, which is a wow. big number uh, that leads to 19 points. He also had four deflections. MKG had three, which is pretty. Those are mo- those are monster numbers, man. Especially considering that you know he played 26 minutes. Like it's not it's not a ton of time on the court. Um, the Knicks are a bad team. They're a bad defensive team. Like really bad defensive team. Um, but yeah, I thought Cody Zeller was was just outstanding in this game again. Before, Spencer, you bring up your point or the player that you're going to talk about. The one thing that I dislike about Cody, um, he hesitates too often when he gets that ball underneath the rim, I feel like, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. He gets a pass. He, like He's like trying to get the guys in the air to go over his yeah. back before he goes up. Sometimes I wish he would just go up uh, because just, I feel like he allows a lot of the players to come back into the play. He, yeah. He's also one of those guys, too, just like, you know, I mean, he gets his fair share of dunks, I guess, just by being around the rim. But, like... He's not that, exp- you know, like he's going to no. have a pretty clear path for him to power up and dunk. I mean, he has to do, you know, Nurkic does this up in Portland a lot. Like, they sort of rely on these little, like, flip shots and floater. It's just, like, a lot of sort of, like, below the rim finishes or, like, right at the rim finishes where there's just, you're leaving a little more up to chance. You know what I mean? Like, a better there's a better chance that it gets blocked or you don't get fouled, essentially. Um, and yeah, I feel like the pump fake game is a part of that, too. Yeah, just one more quick thought. I wasn't going to bring up Zeller. I'll bring up the other guy here in a second. But um, we talked about earlier him making plays out of the middle. You know, Brian, that's a great point. He he does kind of have to have a runway to really get something at the Mm -hmm. rim. And then, you know, when he turns and catches it in the middle, Zeller is not the kind of – and not many bigs can do this, right? Like catch it and almost feel where the defense is coming from and throw the pass really before they even look. I mean, Zeller really has to collect, face, and then survey or look and see where the, the help is coming from. We saw that in the New York game, actually. He faced he caught it in the middle from Kim off a trap, faced, saw the guy from the corner, uh, was kind of coming at him, but blocking his view from the pass to the corner. So the guy from the wing came in, and then he turns. I mean, it felt like this took like five seconds to all happen. <laughs> but, then he, but then he turns, and he feeds Batum at the top of the, kind of the right wing, I think, above the break, and he knocks down the three. So it's a little bit methodical, but he's getting better and more willing and, and he's coming around. I mean, that's going to be a huge, huge part of Charlotte's offense. Um, being able to continue what they're doing is him making plays out of the middle because Kim is going to get trapped all season. So it's just going to have to happen. Um, the, the one guy I was going to bring up is Frank Kaminsky. Um, look, I've been as hard on this guy as any player that I've ever talked about in, in Charlotte <laughs> basketball history. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm, I'll also say that I was wrong when I was wrong. And, and so far it's looking like I'm going to eat some crow here uh, on Frank in 194 minutes this season. And we were making jokes about him, not, you know, playing games early in the year. He's taken over the Willie Hernan Gomez backup center role mm-hmm. uh, until further notice in 194 minutes, a hundred point seven defensive rating. I think, I think I mentioned that earlier. Kind of crazy to me. Uh, he's, he's a plus six. He's a plus six net rating right now. Mm-hmm. Frank Kaminsky, 10 of 25 above the break threes, 40%. He's 14 of 23 in the restricted area. Okay, 61%. Nothing to brag about there, but 9 of 11, that's 82% in the paint. So it's that, you know, it's that Frank Kaminsky skill we've talked about before. You know, he, he pumps the three uh, off the. Um, you know, off the pick and fade, he gets mm-hmm. into the lane. He kind of does this like bat, half back down, half dribble in a few different directions, <laughs> and flips up this little like weird looking shot. Well, he's made nine of eleven of those so far this season. So, you know, this is a very small sample, but I just want to give a shout out to Frank because he really has given the Hornets some some big important minutes here in the last yeah. two weeks off the bench when we really needed it because mm-hmm. Kimba has had, he has not been going here in the last two weeks. And Frank has, has kept us in a few games here with his play. So shout yeah. out. Frank. I, I said this last week with Richie, but just kudos to him. Cause he could have thrown in the towel on the season with him, you know, basically not playing at all the first, you know, month plus of the season. And um, now he's come in and played inspired basketball and the defense hasn't fallen apart when he's out there with MKG, which is big. And, um, yeah, no, I think he's basically, like, played himself into another NBA contract 
probably not in Charlotte. I don't right. think, but somewhere else. Yeah, like, I think, I think maybe Frank is, uh, you know, he's not destined for, you know, Western Europe next season or whatever. And and last thought on Frank too. The bitch's reaction when he gets it going offensively, he makes a three. You can tell how much <laughs> the guys appreciate him staying engaged. Mm-hmm. You know, when he when he was going totally. to the bench earlier in the season, totally. to Brian's point. I mean, just the way his teammates react when he makes a three or when he gets excited about a play. I mean, it, it, it is kind of a microcosm example of, of what I think this locker room is like anyways. But I think his teammates really like him. Uh, I think so, too. I think, that's what, I think that's what helps keep him engaged, too. You know what I mean? That this bench wouldn't let him drift completely. Yep. yep. It's funny you bring that up because I can't remember if it's the Denver game or the uh, the Knicks game. Uh, Frank was feeling it. The team was feeling it. We were on a run, um, and they make a pass out to the corner for Frank. It and was like, a Denver game. He hit the top of the backboard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I died laughing. Right. Died laughing. Yeah. Yeah, Eric no, Collins was like re- Kaminsky, yeah, and then yeah. dead well, silence. So, so that's that's like the third funniest part about that sequence during that game is that. I think the Hornets got three straight offensive rebounds and three straight wide open threes. And Frank's attempt was the third of the, of those three wide open threes. And so the place was, it would have ended the game. If one of those threes dropped, like the nuggets are done. So like what fans were in that building, they were ready to explode. And so when Frank got the third opportunity off the third offensive rebound, (laughs) the backboard, like you could almost, you can almost feel like the comic just flowing out of people's brains uh, in that moment, and somehow the Hornets hang on. But oh man, that was—I uh, was waiting to see that one on Sports Center later that night. Yeah, I, I definitely remember dying laughing at that point because that's just so frank. If it was anyone yeah. else, I wouldn't have laughed so hard. But because yeah. um, was, it was him, it was—it was, it was yeah. so ridiculous. But yeah, we definitely have to give credit to him. I'm sure that um, most fans of BuzzBeat probably thought Spencer was absent the past episode because he didn't want to give credit to Kaminsky, right. but he has come on episode 82 he was and given him. yeah exactly given credit to Kaminsky. So we'll see how that backup center role plays out uh, for the rest of the season. Um, you know, Brian, I know Brian's thoughts on on Bismack uh, after last episode, but yeah, uh, let it be known. <laughs> yeah, it would be nice to see some Hernan Gomez minutes a little bit more often. But you know, Frank Kaminsky has taken advantage of that injury uh, and hasn't looked back. So um, by the time you're listening to this on Wednesday, the Hornets will play the Pistons tonight on a rest advantage. Um, Detroit played on Monday while we played on Sunday. Uh, this is definitely a place for the Hornets to get above 500. Detroit, not a very good offensive team. Uh, and then defensively, they're kind of middle of the road. So very winnable. Um, again, thanks for tuning in to episode 82. Be sure to rate and review BuzzBeat. Uh, for Spencer and Brian, I'm Richie. Go Hornets. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.